Chapter Twenty One of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One. Henry Haley did not forget his promise, and by eleven o'clock was sitting by the side of Mr. Winkworth, who had on that day, for the first time, come to breakfast in the sitting-room of the hotel which had been appropriated to Charles Marston and himself. Charles was seated at a table at some distance, writing a letter, and the old gentleman was reposing upon a sofa after the fatigue of the meal. He was somewhat paler and not quite so yellow as when Henry had last seen him, but certainly his whimsicality and petulance did not seem to have at all diminished during the illness and suffering he had lately undergone. He was very glad to see his young acquaintance, however, shook him warmly by the hand, and seemed more gay and lively than he had been during the morning. "'Well, Colonel,' he said, "'I wanted very much to see you, to ask you a question. You are a military man, have been in service some years, seven, I think you told me once, and have doubtless been in a good number of engagements. Now, tell me, were you ever wounded?' Henry pointed to a scar on his cheek, replying, "'Only once, my dear sir, and that very slightly.' "'Now you see what a whimsical jade fortune is,' exclaimed Mr. Winkworth. "'You go about the world for seven years seeking wounds and bruises. It is your trade, your profession, the object of your life to get shot or slashed or poked with a pike, and you receive nothing but a scratch on the face, while I—' whose business it is to avoid such things, who hate war and bloodshed and strife in all shapes, and have an especial objection to being wounded at all, cannot travel for a year to see sights in the most pacific guise and manner without getting twice shot and once nearly killed. These things certainly are very unaccountable, said Henry Haley. I have known two men, one of whom never went into battle without getting wounded while the other appeared to bear a charm which seemed to turn steel and lead aside, and yet he perhaps exposed himself more than the other. "'But it is not only between two men that the whimsical Harridan plays her tricks,' said Mr. Winkworth. "'It is even between two shoulders. I am sure I do not know what my unfortunate left shoulder has done to offend her, or why the right one has not quite as good a title to be wounded as the other.' but certain it is the same poor suffering fellow comes in for every bad thing that is going while the other lolls comfortably at his ease and never even sends round to ask after his brother's health i trust however from what i see replied henry that neither has suffered very much this time my good sir and that you will soon be better i don't know i don't know replied mr winkworth if the doctors will let me alone and that boy does not tease me to death i dare say i shall do very well but there's a great chance of one or the other killing me if i am fool enough to let them charles looked up from his writing hearing this attack upon himself saying heaven knows my dear winkworth i have not been teasing you except to get you to do what the surgeon bids you well is not that enough exclaimed mr winkworth with a smile why should you tease me to do what i know to be wrong to follow the directions of a man in whom i have no confidence 
or to bathe my shoulder morning noon and night with a lotion that only does it harm while plain milk and water is making it quite well no no thank heaven i am not old enough or fool enough or young enough or mad enough to put any confidence in doctors who go groping in the dark and kill a great many more than they cure besides you have been teasing me about a great number of other things did you not tell me just now that your father was in the gazette that was enough to tease any friend of yours and then to see you take it so quietly and jauntily as if it were a matter of no moment at all is enough to drive one mad i'm sure your good uncle mr scriven does not look upon it so lightly certainly not answered charles marston but then in the first place the mind of my good uncle is of a very different complexion from mine and in the next place he does not know a great many things which i do and which greatly tend to alleviate the matter at all events one thing is a great comfort come what will my father never can be in want for the generous settlement he made upon me long ago guards him now against that and i have other things to tell him which i trust will wipe away all memory of the disappointment and sorrow which this event must have caused him oh ho secrets exclaimed mr winkworth while henry hayley looked at his friend with a kind but very meaning smile if the secrets be worth knowing i will find them out i have all the curiosity of an old bachelor or an old maid i can tell you and i will answer for it master charles i shall be in possession of the whole intelligence before your letter reaches calcutta that is very likely my dear sir answered charles for in the first place the secret will soon be very well known and i promise you shall be one of the first to hear it and in the next place there is little chance of my letter going to calcutta at all for mr scriven tells me my father is on his way to england i wonder i have not heard myself then where do you intend to send your letter asked henry hayley in some surprise if your father is on his way it will most likely miss him i shall send it to his agents at liverpool answered charles he may get it or not before he reaches london but when i can testify my gratitude for all his kindness and my affection for all his worth and perhaps soothe his grief and relieve his anxiety i will not delay an hour though you know middleton i hate writing letters i know all about it said mr winkworth starting as if from a deep reverie i have fathomed your secret i have made it all out hazel eyes an oval face a straight little nose lips running over with fun and impertinence i've made it out i've made it out master charles a lady sir said the waiter entering and addressing mr winkworth wishes to know if she can see you her car dear she's waiting in the carriage below a lady exclaimed mr winkworth taking the card good heaven have they found me out already what terrible women these europeans are they cannot let an old bachelor live in peace amongst them for three days without attacking the citadel of his heart with all the forms of war lady anne mellant present my most humble and respectful compliments to her ladyship and say that i am forbidden by the laws and ordinances of hippocrates to descend to the door of her vehicle 
but that, if she will do me the honour of walking up, I shall be delighted to see her. That waiter always makes a point of staring very much at Mr. Winkworth, and of thinking him the most extraordinary man in the world. However, he retreated speedily, and in a moment or two after returned, announcing Lady Anne. She entered with a gay and laughing look, her colour a little heightened, and a bonnet which became her exceedingly. So that, certainly, if she had any designs upon the old gentleman's heart, her forces were well prepared for action. Mr. Winkworth, however, though occasionally a little bitter and sarcastic upon the fair sex, was the pink of politeness and old-fashioned courtesy in his demeanour towards them, and rising from the sofa he met Lady Anne near the door, and taking her hand gallantly, pressed his lips upon the tips of her fingers, saying, "'This is indeed a great and unexpected favour, my dear Lady Anne, and I am quite as grateful for it, allow me to assure you, as if I had been impudent enough to ask it, and you had been cruel enough to hesitate for a month.' "'An excellent beginning, Mr. Winkworth,' said Lady Anne, "'for I am going at once to put your gratitude to the test.' You will think me somewhat exacting, but still I will prove your sincerity. I am going to have a party to spend a week down at a place of mine in the north. Some very pleasant people are to be there, I can assure you. One, Colonel Middleton, and she turned a laughing look towards Henry, then added, nodding her head to Charles, one Mr. Marston, besides an exceedingly pretty girl called Maria Monkton, and the dearest and best of old ladies in the world, Lady Fleetwood, who would fain remain behind in London, having an affinity of things to do, but whom I am determined to have down with me, just to keep her out of harm's way. Now, Mr. Winkworth, you must be one of the party, and I promise you I will flirt all day with you, except when I am coquetting a little with Colonel Middleton or Charles Marston. <laughs> said Mr. Winkworth. I suppose that with ladies' speeches, as with their letters, the pith lies in the postscript. And he turned a keen look from her face to that of Charles. Their speeches and their letters both deserve an answer at all events, replied Lady Anne. And I think you very rude, Mr. Winkworth, for making a saucy speech about ladies' postscripts, instead of catching up my invitation with due reverence and delight. I will atone, I will atone, said the old gentleman not only by accepting immediately, but by speaking nothing but soft and complimentary speeches all the time I am your guest. But you must give me a few days to recover, my dear young lady, for you see here I am, forbidden to set a foot out of doors for the next three days. Oh, yes, answered Lady Anne. Charles Marston knows all the arrangements and will bring you down at the proper time and season. "'Like a tame bear in a travelling cage,' said Mr. Winkworth. "'However, dear Lady Anne, as I said before, "'I'll do my best to stand upon my hind legs "'and behave civilly to all men. "'You won't be half so delightful at any time as when you growl,' "'answered Lady Anne, laughing. "'But come, Colonel Middleton, I intend to take you away with me.' "'Charles looked up with a feeling of mortification.' which he could not altogether banish from his face. And Lady Anne saw it, half amused, half vexed. Odd as she was, and accustomed to indulge every fancy without restraint, 
she nevertheless understood sufficiently well the nature and feelings of love to know that she was putting charles marston to a sore trial and to be sorry for it however she might still have persevered for many motives induced her to do so had not mr winkworth suddenly turned an inquiring and almost sarcastic look to charles's face which lady anne chose to interpret is this the way she treats you that look decided lady anne at once she could bear to tease charles marston a little she could bear even to put his confidence in her affection and constancy to a very painful ordeal but she could not bear the thought of making charles seem contemptible in the eyes of any one even for his complaisance to her as soon then as she had drawn on her glove she went up to the table where charles was sitting and laid her hand with the most undisguised affection on his shoulder can you come with us charles she said slightly bending her head and looking down into his face with infinite grace both in the attitude of her figure and the expression of her countenance or must you stay and finish this long letter to whom is it it is too long to be to a man and i don't allow you to write to any other woman without first obtaining my consent it is to my father dear lady anne answered charles marston but it can be finished any time before six o'clock this evening well then come with me she replied but remember i don't permit you to call me lady anne you may make it anne if you like or anne mellant or anne anything you please but drop the ladyship or you shall be charles marston esquire with me for the future charles started up to get his hat which polished by the care of his servant till it shone like a mirror lay with his gloves and stick on a small table behind him and lady anne turning again to mr winkworth observed you think me very odd i am sure mr winkworth but it all proceeds from nature habit and calculation and you'll find me ten times odder than you now think when you've known me a little longer i do think you very odd said mr winkworth with a gay look but very charming there that's the first of the civil speeches said lady anne that'll do for to-day mr winkworth no more of them yes one more rejoined the old gentleman one more you two young men go away and leave this gay lady with me i am going to make her a declaration so stay at the top of the stairs for fear she should faint with a smile charles marston and henry Haley did as they were bid while lady anne advanced towards mr winkworth saying what can you want with me you very funny old man the answer they did not hear but when in about two minutes lady anne rejoined them at the top of the stairs her eyes were full of tears and her cheeks bore traces of the same dew of the heart her manner however was too gay and sparkling for those tears to be tears of grief and when charles asked her what had happened to move her so much she answered playfully there charles not a word he's an excellent old man that and he loves you and will do for you more than you know and now let us on our way i am first going to my own house for a little and then to dear aunt fleetwood's so you shall go with me to both places End of chapter twenty one